welcome back to another edition of the Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we're coming to you live today on Thursday, the 10th of December. We have a uh, interesting Thursday night football game going on on the television before us. Uh, we just saw Jared Goff go for a little QB sneak. And uh, then we saw the Pats D run a maybe fumble, maybe interception. Interesting little scoop up off the ground back for a tutty. We'll have to see if that stands. But we're not just talking about that game tonight. We got all sorts of information for you guys from all around the sports world. Sam, walk us through what this episode looks like. Yeah, we're going to start in the NBA. Not a ton of news there outside of the fact that James Harden, of course, one of the best players in the league, sort of wants out of Houston. He's added a couple teams to his trade list. So we're going to take you through that list and maybe talk about where we think we see being the best fit for him. Uh, then we have the fantasy playoffs among us. We know in, in Aaron and my league, we're in the first week of our playoffs. Aaron and I, of course, are in the loser's bracket where the loser of the league will end up having to serve a punishment. So high stakes for us and being able to pull out a win this week. If we were to both lose this week, we'd be facing each other in the loser bowl. Uh, so we're going to give you guys... The Fedora Bowl, as it's affectionately known. And uh, let me just say real quick, Sam doesn't want that. Let me also say that it is the Pats ball, but they're not getting the touchdown run back right there. Sam, please uh, run us to the rack. Yeah, so since... Uh, since this is such a high stakes fantasy football week for you guys. We're going to give you some, you know, fantasy advice, some waiver wire picks. Of course, I don't know if you should be listening to us. As I just said, we're, we're both uh, in the losers bracket of our league. Although I still think we, you know, we're, we're up to date. It's a pretty competitive league. Everyone's scouring the waiver wire. You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm not... about to win two of my other leagues for a lot more money with people who also know how to play. So I'm not too worried about our bona fides here, Sam. Uh, but then, you know, after that, there's a lot of baseball news. Uh, there have been some trades. There's been some free agency. So we're going to take you through all these moves, tell you what we think about them, what we think is interesting. And then finally, you know, it's been a while since we did a little competition, a little quiz on this show. It's something we did a lot before the baseball season started when we had sort of more free time in our episodes. But we're going to get back to our roots, and we introduced the Swing Take uh, visuals to you on StatCast last week. And basically, we're just going to we're gonna ha- we're gonna quiz each other on the leaderboards from 2020. So I'm going to quiz Aaron on the batter leaderboard. Aaron's going to quiz me on the pitcher leaderboards. We'll see who does a better job. I do think the pitcher leaderboards might be a little easier to get. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but with that, you want to just jump into the episode, Aaron? So Yeah, so let's start off with a little bit of basketball here. Uh, really, I guess the big news, Paul George signed a max extension, but it's not huge news. I personally think it's crazy, but that's also just how the NBA works. Like a guy like PG is always going to get a max extension because of their like economy. But the big thing here is Harden just keeps like throwing out teams that he wants to play for that are not the Rockets. It's not been apparent at any point that Daryl Morey is interested in trading James Harden or even open to the idea. Oh, sorry. Daryl Morey is not there anymore, but the Rockets ownership is open to trading James Harden, but he just continues to add to teams, uh, his list of teams that he is willing or interested in playing for. Um, He's been just absolutely humming it down in Las Vegas, I I suppose. There's been a lot of videos and pictures surfacing. Um, I will make a note that I haven't seen him in a mask yet. I I mean, you're in Vegas, baby. Like, you got to throw that thing on. 
Um, but uh, let's talk about this list real quick, Sam, and see if you like any of these fits for James Harden. Uh, we got the Bucks up in Milwaukee with no cap space. We got the Heat with a lot of trade pieces. We got the Philadelphia 76ers, which, to be honest, I don't think is super realistic. And we have the Nets, who I couldn't understand, but boy, whoa. So what do you think, Sam? Out of those four teams, is there one that you really like for him? So not considering sort of whether a team has the assets or the cap space to get a trade done, let's just talk about basketball fit. The number one I like there is Milwaukee. I think Harden would be a perfect sort of second star to to Giannis because Giannis is a guy that, you know, is a star that isn't quite as ball dominant or I think could play a bit less ball dominant than a lot of the other stars on these other teams. Uh, Well, well, that's not fully true, but let me just start, like, I think James Harden and Giannis would complement themselves really well. Giannis and James in a pick and roll could be the most deadly play in in basketball. You know, up there with, with the with the Steph K D pick and rolls we saw with Golden State that they for some reason never wanted to use. This could be even better. And you know And even beyond that, Sam, like people talk about you know, like slash and dish. They talk about somebody driving to the rack and then tossing it to as the Rams defense just find the end zone Um, and then tossing it to an outside shooter. But for a guy like Giannis, you can slash and pass in the paint very effectively because if you need a lot of finesse around the rim, then the congestion hurts you. But Giannis is always the strongest guy on the floor. He's always the biggest guy in the paint. And being able to create just enough separation where he gets an open look is, is a huge ball game for them. So you're right about the um, handling, ball handling. You're right about uh, the pick and roll move. But I think there's a lot of shot creation opportunity for the two as well. Obviously, Giannis uh, slash and pass works even better uh, in the regular sense than what I was just speaking on. So I like that fit. But for me, I – well, actually, I was going to say the heat for a sec. But then I realized basketball fit just isn't about players because I think those players could complement each other pretty nicely, although he does kind of nullify Goron, who they just re-signed. But if if we're talking about basketball fit, we're talking about culture, and I don't think James Harden works in the Heat culture. No disrespect to James. Like, he works, obviously. He's a a tremendous top five basketball player in all basketball. But, like, you think about what the Heat are doing in the Greg Popovich style. Like, you got to tone it down down and work in a different way and i don't think he has that um or even he wants to do that i don't think he wants to do that i don't think he'll be the best version of himself doing that so i would actually then pivot from the heat uh to the before you go before you go on i i totally agree with you on the heat and i think not only is i think he maybe not a great fit culture wise in terms of the culture with the heat but i think he doesn't really play in the offensive system that Spolstra has built, which is like, yeah, a, exactly. It's very much of a, a ball movement system and not someone just pounding the ball for 18 seconds and then, and then going ISO to the rim. And it's, you know, I, you know, Spolstra is an incredible coach. So I think if he got James Harden, he would learn to make it work because, you know, you always want to get a top five player in the NBA and then you figure it out. But yeah. I, I agree with you that for those reasons, that's maybe not the number one place I think he'd, I think he'd go. 
Yeah, so then the last one that I actually like um, is the Nets. And this is just, I know it's just basically impossible and it's not even a great basketball fit, if we're being honest, because you're putting KD, Kyrie, and Harden on a team together who just like all need to touch the ball. But I, it's just so all in on firepower that I somehow still don't think it could be bad. Like it's still such a good team. And I think about Golden State. And what's so important about Golden State is that Clay did not need to have the ball in his hand. So you just had Kevin and Steph Curry who needed to control the ball. And KD was able to kind of let some of that go to let Steph create. I could see a situation, and it's not a perfect parallel, but I could see a situation with Harden um, where KD takes another step back and says, I'm willing to do what's best for the team and handle the ball less. He'll still get unbelievable scoring. He'll be like, you know, clay on steroids because he's still going to handle the ball, but take a little step back there. And I could see one of Kyrie and Harden taking a step back um, and letting the other one control the ball a little bit more to make it work. But, you know, I just, I find it hard to see a downside of putting one of the best players on basketball in basketball on a team that already has a top three player in basketball and a top 10 player in basketball, probably. Let me float this. What if the, what if the Nets offer Kyrie in a trade for Harden? Have Dinwiddie play, play point. You have Harden. Harden at the, yeah. You have, Harden at the, the ball, but. you have Harden at the two. KD at the four can play five and some small ball lineups. Like, I mean, I, I do that if I'm the Nets. I'm not I sure. I definitely do that if I'm the Nets. I mean, I'm not sure KD would be okay with it. He sort of arranged this whole thing so he could play with Kyrie. For some for some reason, I'm those no two reason. weirdos love each other. Yeah, um, so weird. But, yeah. yeah I mean, that's I, actually a really interesting idea, especially because we just saw the – um, the rust swap go down, which is like a kind of similar situation on a lesser level. I think I could see Kyrie and a couple future first rounders heading to the Rockets for James Harden. Um, the thing is, I'm not sure Harden and, and KD work out right now. Like, I mean, we'll see. I, I will say one other really interesting dynamic in all of this is that uh, Houston gave OKC a couple first rounders and pick swaps to get Russell Westbrook in the Chris Paul trade. It seemed at the time, okay, they have James Harden. They're, those picks aren't going to be so good. If James Harden gets traded, those picks could be top five picks. I mean, the Rockets are total garbage without him. Right. Like, and suddenly, I mean, okay, see, Argy has this absolute war chest. Those picks become even more valuable. I mean – OKC is maybe the most fascinated I've been of a, by a franchise, you know, in a position they're in that I, I've been like by an American sports franchise in recent memory, like with really? the number of picks they have, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, they have like, I think at least three first round picks in the next, you know, four or five drafts. It, it's yeah. insane. Three extra beyond their own. I think maybe three total, but I, yeah, like three in each draft. Oh, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see what happens with Harden there. You know how I feel about Harden. Great player. Um, I don't think he is a way to win a championship 
Um, but you know, from a lot of these teams' perspectives, I, you can't say no. So we'll have to see what happens. For my money, Sam, and we'll end it with this. We'll, I'll give you a chance to say the same, but um, I think he stays in Houston probably. I just don't see him moving. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, the Houston has very little incentive to trade him. So I think they're going to have to get blown away. Now, of course, Harden doesn't have a no-trade clause. Uh, and he has a few years left on his contract, so, like, I don't see why other teams aren't jumping in these sweepstakes. I mean, he's James Harden. Right. I mean, it is interesting. Maybe he rubs Houston ownership so bad that they shop him everywhere and they take the best deal they get from like the Bobcat or the ex Bobcats, the Hornets. And like, they just get like 50 first round picks and they're like, sorry, James. And that's an extreme version. I don't think they do it, but it's possible. Like you, if you don't have protection like that, it is a bit of a risk to play with fire the way he is publicly announcing things like that. Um, so with that, let's talk a little bit of football. This week was honestly pretty, pretty drab. But one interesting thing that happened is the Steelers did get beat. A quick shout out to uh, Albany famous sports anchor Gardner Royce from CBS 6 up in Albany. Um, he called that out before the game. He said, don't be surprised if Washington goes into the Steel City and takes care of those pesky bees. Um, he was right. So we got to give him credit, but beyond that, you know, we're not really going to mention anything else here. If there's something you guys want to hear about, email us before a show, after a show, while you're in bed, while you're at work, while you're in the shower, we don't care what your deal is. Go ahead, shoot us an email or message us on Twitter at the Alonzo bet or the Alonzo bet at gmail.com. Um, but for now let's stick with the fantasy and Sam, what I want to do here, if it's okay with you is I want to talk about a couple guys that you and I like um, who are 30% owned or less uh, in ESPN leagues right now. Um, and because I brought it up, I'll start off with someone who's actually currently on my team, but rostered in precisely 30% of leagues, 30.0. Uh, this is Nelson Aguilar. So here's the deal. If you're at this stage of your season where you are for sure starting Nelson Aguilar and, or Aguilar, I, I don't know. And you, you got that locked in. Like you're not even thinking about that. You are probably in trouble, <laughs> but if you are suffering and trying to fill a flex or you are juggling a couple guys, this is a really solid addition to that. He has games of 14, 14, 21, 13, 20 to complement games of 10, 9, and 7 this season. So the floor, well, he also he has a game of zero and a game of one. So the floor, I guess, is technically zero. But your expected <laughs> performance of him, you're, you got to feel pretty comfortable you're getting eight points on average from this guy with potential for big, big booms in the right matchup. So this is a guy, again – you're not locking him in, but you're looking who he's playing. You're looking his trends because he's kind of streaky. You're, is he catching the ball well right now? Is he do whatever? Um, and he's not catching the ball great right now, I will say. But you just never know. You know, he plays Indiana. They've been all over the place. The Chargers the week after. Um, someone to keep an eye on. Sam, do you have someone you like? Yeah. So, you know, fantasy football is really – it's all about opportunity because it's, it's a volume thing. Mm -hmm. And one guy who suddenly has a lot more opportunity than he's had the rest of the season is Kiki Kuti, or it's Kute, I don't know how it's pronounced, for yeah. the Texans. 
last week he had eight catches for 141 yards. What changed last week? Will Fuller was suspended for six games, and he stepped up to a much bigger role in that Houston offense. And importantly, as Aaron knows, because he's his quarterback, Deshaun Watson is absolutely balling right now. Yeah, I mean, that answer. anyone he decides to throw the ball to is going to have a good game. So, you know, is he going to have eight catches for 141 every week? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to promise you that. But I think, you know, as a receiver that's getting featured in that Houston offense with the way Deshaun Watson's playing, I think he's definitely someone you're going to want to look to pick up. So my next guy, and the rest of these are getting pretty slim here, but my next guy is Tim Patrick. I've had Tim Patrick for a lot of the season because to be honest with you, Denver wide receiver, to be honest with you, it's mind boggling that this man is owned in less than 20% of leagues in ESPN. Let me just read you his stats. He's better than Nelson Aguilar. Let me just read you his stats here. He's gone 14, 23, 14, 12, 10, 16, 20. His lowest is four and he only has two weeks under six besides weeks he didn't play. Like, well, and the week they didn't have a quarterback, but I'm not counting that. Like, this guy is legit a very, very high floor, um, like, boom opportunity wide receiver. It's insane that he's owned in less than 20% of leagues. I need to say that again. Against Carolina this week, again, this is a matchup guy. This is someone you're plugging in at flex when you're running low, you know? But... Against Carolina is right on the fence. You got to really weigh your options, but this is a guy that you want on your bench. This is a guy you feel good about playing if if it comes down to it. So, um, do you have a running back, Sam? We didn't we didn't mention any really. I do have a running back, and and if you're like me, and you're really streaming that second running back spot every week, just looking for anyone that's going to get some starting touches that week. I mean. Early in the season, my two running backs were Clyde Edwards-Elair and Joe Mixon. I traded Joe Mixon for George Kittle. Both of their seasons have sort of gone up in flames. I ended up getting very lucky in trading Clyde Edwards-Elair for, for Dalvin Cook in, in really a robbery of a trade. Um, robbery. But my second running back spot is, is really hurting me. I, you know, I was streaming Gio Bernard a few weeks. I was streaming Kalen Balaj a few weeks. Neither of them really are getting starting touches anymore. And the guy I'm going to stream this week, who I picked up, is actually Ty Johnson for the New York Jets. Uh, and after, uh, you know, Frank Gore, who the Jets have really been pounding the ball with, Adam Gaze, sort of illogically loves the man, went out with a concussion early in the last week. He's not officially ruled out for Sunday, but I think it's unlikely he will play. And if so, what did Ty Johnson do in his few in his opportunity once Frank Gore went out last week? He had 22 rushes for 110 yards and a touchdown. Was also featured in the passing game, so can get you some points in PPR. And I'll tell you, the Jets' offense has a new identity. Why? Because they are getting on Highway 77 behind the big ticket Mackay Beckton. <laughs> I mean, that man is just mowing. Grown men in the running game. Just just massive holes. And I'm just telling you, just get on Highway 77, and you're going to get 10 <laughs> yards, 6 yards, 10 yards, all the way down the field. So look for Ty, Jens, Ty Johnson to get on Highway 77 this week and maybe get you 15, 20 points and save you in a, in a, fantasy, in a fantasy playoffs matchup. All right. I'm so glad I asked you that question. 
Um, I want to do something real quick. I want to give you guys because so I've always in the past drafted defenses too early um, or what is conventionally thought of as too early. I've had some overall success, but most success in fantasy is your waiver wire. So I went the opposite approach this year and I really waited on a defense to see what the other side was like because I'd never really done it. Um, I hate it, but I am in that position. So I want to give you guys two late pickups this week that still might be available if you're doubting your defense. And then I want to give you two for next week who, if you're, if you're looking towards the future, you feel comfortable with the spot, losing a spot on your roster right now, going into next week of the playoffs, um, some guys you want to look at. So for this week, the first one is the Titans. Here's the thing. They played Jacksonville. They just got absolutely mauled by Cleveland. They had minus six points. So you don't want that but they do have a 10 point and a 13 point game. Um, They're not great. And in fact, I just dropped them and went for this other team. And that other team um, is the Panthers. And so remember the Titans are an option for you because they're playing Jacksonville and I've had some good games against bad teams. So the profile fits, um, but you got to be wary because they haven't been playing great. I took the Panthers because they're playing Denver, who is a worse offense, even with their quarterbacks than um, Jacksonville is, or at least according to ESPN. And, Panthers are off back-to-back 15 and 18 point games. They're really their only big performances this season. And it, it doesn't say much, but one was against Detroit and one was against Minnesota. Now they're coming off a bye week. They're refreshed and still feeling good about that. Um, if you're streaming and you need someone late, like I did, I, I think that could be a good pick for you. But now let's look ahead to next week and next week, the big ticket here, and it's not Makai Becton in this case. <laughs> The big ticket for all of y'all is Arizona because the Cardinals are out there playing Philly next week, now starting to uh, – so there is a chance of some rookie sensation. I'll put that on the table, but I believe that chance – Jalen Hurts, not Tua. Jalen Hurts, sorry. Same guy. Um, I, I believe that chance is pretty low, and the Cardinals will get it done for you with 14, 8, 10, 9 um, – you know, they're also not a starting every week defense, but none of these guys are. You couldn't stream them, so bear with me. The other one is the Vikings, um, who I am saving for next week. I already have them stashed. And the Vikings are coming off some solid games, a 12, an 11, a 5, a 6. Um, and they play Tampa Bay this week, so stay away. But Chicago the week after, um, so keep an eye on that. So that's your help for fantasy. We hope we help you guys get through. I got, I got one more. I got one more. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even ask, Sam. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I will say, you know, defense, defensive performance, always hard to predict. But if you can swing that defensive spot by 10 points over your opponent, that the, the defense defense kicker spot, that can swing a week. So if, you. if, you're, if you're making the right streams there, that can really be the difference. My last one is a bit of a cheat. I think he's owned in 37% of leagues. But the tight end spot is so much trouble for people every week. You know, this year, really outside of George Kittle and, and maybe Darren Waller, I'd say there really just hasn't been a tight end you can trust. Okay. So if you, if you can find some tight end production, uh, that's huge. And one guy who has been coming on late is Logan Thomas for the Washington football team. Particularly yeah. last week, uh, he had nine catches for 98 yards and a touchdown. Just tremendous performance out of the tight end position. And really... Uh, you know, I, I actually have him on my team as a backup tight end because I didn't trust him and I traded for TJ Hawkinson. 
If I just trusted Logan Thomas, I'd be in a better situation. But TJ Hawkinson's my tight end one. I actually think I'm going to be flexing Logan Thomas this week out, out of the tight end spot. That's how, how good he's looked in the Washington offense recently. Uh, so if he's still available in your team, in your league, and you need some tight end help, I really, really recommend picking up Logan Thomas. That's a great call, and I agree 100%, except uh, I personally would not advise you to flex Logan Thomas unless you're desperate, but Sam, uh, like me, is in the Fedora Bowl, so I understand <laughs> desperate times call for desperate measures. Um, let's go to baseball. We've waited too long. We've, we've made ourselves chased, and now we will dive into what we really love most. And I guess let's get started with exec news. We see that the deal is not done, but it's effectively done. Um, the Phillies are going to hire Dave Dombrowski as president of baseball operations. Dave has been around for a long time. Dave was making trades for the Expos, if that dates him at all. Um Sam, he has, I should, sorry, I should finish that thought. He has a lot of experience winning. (laughs) Dave Dombrowski has won a lot in his tenure. Um, But how do you like this move, Sam? No, I don't don't hate it. I mean, I I, I think Dombrowski is a guy who is very, he's a bit more old school than a lot of the general managers in today's game. That's not to say he doesn't understand analytics. I think he does. Mm -hmm. But I think he's uh, he's 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 always willing to go for it, which you know I applaud him for. And that's something that teams I think have been doing a bit less recently, where they're they're more okay to sort of just you know outside of the Dodgers, just sort of stay in contention every year and not really just go for it, be the the big winners. I will say is Dombrowski hasn't really had to operate on a tight budget in recent memory, and. I do question how successful he'll be in that role. And the way the Phillies management is talking, they seem like they're going to be operating on a tight budget. There was some report that they lost $2 billion last year or something. Clearly not true. Uh, But yeah, I guess, you know, that's, that's my thought there, which is that, you know, Dombrowski clearly a guy with a lot of success knows how to build a winning organization but I do think is is maybe not pushing some analytical edges quite as much as you'd like to operate on a shorter budget. Agreed. Um, agreed. He, I, I, I understand the concern. I agree with the concern, as I said. I don't share it, to be honest. Um, I think he knows so many people around the league. He knows the league so well. He's operated in the system for so long. He will be at a disadvantage by not being a little bit more all in on um, quantitative analysis. But I do think he'll be able to operate uh, it well. I think he'll be able to get things done. I think he will be able to improve the Phillies because that bar is actually not particularly high at this moment. Um, even if they seriously competed for the division, that would be an improvement for them um, and didn't make it. But I do want to just mention a couple fun names that were drafted by uh, Dombrowski because this is always good. He drafted Cliff Floyd out of high school in 1991. 
Um, Mark Rizalonic is a personal favorite of mine, but he got Josh Beckett and Adrian Gonzalez in the same draft. He took Justin Verlander, Cameron Maben, Andrew Miller, Rick Porcello, back to back to back to back. He took Nick Castellanos, Victor Martinez, Prince Fielder, Corey Knable, uh, Curtis Granderson, James McCann. Uh, future Matt James McCann. Yeah, future Matt James McCann. And he also obviously has made a large litany of trades. So um, fun hiring for the Phillies. I like it. I understand the concern, but I, they need to do something. And I think uh, for the people that are out there, I don't see the Phillies as an organization after hiring Joe Girardi going out and getting Kevin Cash, uh, not Kevin Cash, sorry. Um, the Rays GM, whatever his name is. Um, and like, so what are they left with, right? They're left with people compatible with Joe Girardi. I believe this is the best option in there. Um, let's talk about trades. A lot of trades, a lot of signings in the MLB, Sam. Um, one such trade, something I like very much, is that the Angels acquire Raisel Iglesias for no Ramirez and a player to be named later, but later has come, and that player is now Leonardo Rivas. Um, to me, Sam, just right off the bat, this trade looks pretty much like a salary dump. Um, I don't know why the... Reds are so keen on cutting money, but they have been cutting money at basically every corner here. Um, and they get no Ramirez who has a million dollar contract and they lose Rachel Iglesias who has a $9 million contract. Um, and the performance is different. Obviously no Ramirez, a younger player who had a three ERA last year in 21 innings a four ERA and 67 innings the year before He's got big league experience. He came 10 guys per nine basically every year in the bigs besides 2015 where he was at nine. Um, he's never been great, but he's a, he's a solid reliever. Racel has been great, obviously, and has saved a lot of games, saving 34 games in 2019 especially. But, like, people worry about him because he does stuff like get, have a 4-1-6 ERA in 67 innings in 2019. Like after three years of two, he has four because in those three years of two, he had FIPS of four, two, three and three, three, eight. And he had X FIPS over, you know, about three and a half the whole time. He's a guy who gets out of jams, but if you watch him or you have him on your fantasy team, like I have many, many times, he'll make you absolutely nuts. So the angels have to do this because their bullpen is a absolute dumpster fire and he automatically becomes their closer. No questions asked. Um, but Racel, the the trade in terms of like talent wasn't as far off, I think, as a lot of people saw it. So it's a good trade for the Angels, not quite as highway robbery as people think because of the salary. Yeah, and I, but I, I like to see, I like this for the Angels. I think they need to do everything they can every year that they have Mike Trout in his prime to improve as much as they possibly can and give that man a chance to be in the playoffs again. Um, I do wonder, you know, if the Reds are cutting salary because they're trying to pinch together an offer to keep Trevor Bauer. Um, I know they, I think they'd very much like to do that. And he's obviously <laughs> the best pitcher on the market and going to command a fairly big salary. So I wonder if, if this relates to that at all. It's an interesting point. Um, I haven't heard a lot of buzz of him going back to the Reds, but there's a long time to go before he signs, I think. So 
Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Another trade that actually went through just before we started recording this and is um, really interesting to me. Uh, maybe it's a, a bit niche for our general audience, but um, Nate Lau gets traded to the Rangers. Nate uh, Lowe, with- his former teammate, Brandon Lau. And Nate oh, Lowe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I, Nate think, Lowe. and I think him getting traded is really just a favor to all of us baseball fans. So we no longer have to be confused about how to pronounce their names. Exactly. Um, he gets traded along with minor leaguer Jake Gunther um, for a, a whole slew of minor leaguers, Oslavis Basabe, Eribo Hernandez, and Alexander Ovias. Um of these, the the big one here is Eriberto Hernandez. So he's a catcher, outfielder, but most people don't think he'll be a legit catcher. Um, he has not had great success in the in the minor leagues, let's say. But scouts love him. They have future grades off the charts. He has future grade sixty raw power, future grade fifty five hit tool, um, and like. This, to me, looks like exactly the type of guy the Rays are going to turn into um, a really, really valuable major league hitter. Because I think they looked at Nate Lowe, who is a good hitter and has had some success in the majors, um, and albeit limited sample size, but they've known him since 2016. To me, this kind of looks like the Rays saw Nate Lowe's ceiling and how that fit into their lineup and, and roster and looked at these other guys and said their collective future value is, is enough to replace what we'll lose by taking him off of our roster. Yeah. I will say Nate Lowe, I think, well, he's not been bad in the majors compared to his offensive output in the minors, which was really impressive. Uh, he's really been nothing more than around an average hitter in the majors. Uh, and he certainly struggled with strikeouts, which were not necessarily a big problem for him in the minors. So that is a bit worrying. It, again, it's only something like, you know, 250 career plate appearances in the majors. So I'm not, I'm not counting him out. He still, you know, sh- shows good plate discipline. He's shy of 250, Sam. Yeah, so not even 250. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad major leaguer. And, you know, he's got a pretty good contact profile. It has good patience at the plate good good plate discipline uh but the results haven't you know again he hasn't been bad but they haven't really been there in terms of the type of results you need to see out of like a first base dh type agreed but for the rangers like it's better than starting ronald guzman every day yeah but i guess the question is if when you're the rangers and you're not really in a position to contend i don't really see the point of trading away sort of future future talent a top 100 prospect for a guy that's not going to move the needle for you like you're not going to be contending for a playoff spot next year whether you have nate low or not but they should have four years of control of nate low yeah i mean i think that they see an opportunity in the next three years probably to start contending they do have young prospects some of them are pitching prospects they do have major league talent on the roster already um of course, it, it would be interesting for them to let Lynn and Minor go if they thought they could compete this year. But I don't think it's about this year. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, these are all young players uh, 
interesting franchises, let's say the Rays for obvious reasons, the Rangers for potential future. Um, and so, like I said, a bit more of a niche trade, but one that I find really interesting. Um, so there's only one other trade that we want to talk about, but we're going to save it for last since it's kind of like the big news. So let's talk about two signings. The first one is Adam Eaton goes back to the Chicago White Sox, um, who, by the way, the Nationals traded Dane Dunning to the White Sox for Adam Eaton. We will talk about Dane Dunning later in this episode, but they're both back on the move on the same day last week. Um, Sam, one year, seven mil with an eight and a half mil club option for 20 for the following year. Do you like this for the White Sox? Do you like it for Adam Eaton? I mean, I like it for Adam Eaton because, I mean, to be honest, he's not a starting outfielder anymore. Like, he was okay in 2019, I guess. uh, But last year really looked like he fell off a cliff, uh, 75 WRC+. Sure, it was only 40 games, 176 play appearances. But he simply, you know, he he looked like a guy that's aging. Uh, I mean, he's he's not a young player, and it's not surprising when you see – a guy sort of who's getting gets into his 30s start playing worse uh and we're now sort of on back-to-back decline years for adam eden and i i just don't see how you see him as a starting outfielder for your team so you know i think he's he'd be a he's a decent fourth outfielder like i don't hate him as a fourth outfielder on the contending team but like why are you paying why are you paying seven million dollars for a fourth outfielder it, it, it doesn't make sense to me yeah, so I think the only way it makes sense is if they're just, like, so all in, basically. Um, and maybe they are. But that means they have to go get someone like George Springer or Michael Brantley, um, or else this doesn't make sense because the improvement over guys like Adam Engel or Lurie Gar- Garcia, especially Larry Garcia – um, is really minimal. And if you look at um, our boy Adam Eaton's expected WOBA um, over the last couple of seasons, it took, it started taking an absolute nosedive halfway to, through 2019. Like this guy is just big time on the decline at 32, uh, which is getting up there for a guy who's toolsy and gritty and not like, like sage talented with a bat. Um, so I don't like this. Of course he is the guy who's had good experience. Um, sorry, good success in the past and could end up having a good season this season. I mean, you know, he does have WRC plus seasons of 120 odd for like five years straight in his career in the middle of his career. But to me, it looks like those days are over. So I agree with you. Yeah. So then I guess a, another signing Again, a team that, that has been surprisingly active in free agency is, is Carlos Santana for two years and 17 and a half. Do you have any thoughts on this? I just I, – I, what do the Royals want to do this year? Um, I, like, I, you can see I'm flabbergasted, Sam. I literally don't know what to say. So do I think that that's fair AAV for Carlos Santana? Yes. I absolutely Carlos Santana, a very good player. Um, even when the traditional numbers don't uh, jump out at you, but he's a piece you want as like a DH, um, you know, or a bottom of the order OBP guy on a winning team. 
why are the Royals paying 17 mil? Maybe there's some type of thought there that like we can rebuild and still draw fans to the crowd. Cause it's a bit of a tradition there. Um, but I I'm missing something here, especially when you pair it with Mike Miner. help me shine light in, in this dark time. And, you know, I, you know, I made this point on the last podcast and I think all it is, is that the Royals simply don't have, you know, rebuild mode. They don't know how to do it. And because of that, they, they would prefer to push, push the button on committing to year to year mediocrity than doing the hard thing and saying, we need to rebuild, restock our farm system and, and get to another contending window. This isn't how you do it, but I mean, this is, this is how they operate. And this is how they've been operating. So it's not a surprise to me, but I, I don't think it's smart. I don't know how much I, I said this last time. I don't know how much I buy that, but it is certainly an explanation um, and something I can wrap my head around. Uh, I'd like to get like a think piece on this from a Royals beat writer who like knows the team. Cause this is just fascinating to me that they would make these two moves for Carlos Santana. Like, I don't really get it. He's played for teams that have been competing for a while now. Um, and he's just going to go and, and live out his twilight days. He probably only has three useful years left at maximum. Um, and he's going to live out two of the three in, in Kansas City. I don't love it. That, that dude is gonna, he's going to keep walking, you know, 15% of the time for a couple more years. See, I don't know. Like, when you can't threaten a hit on a pitch, you, you don't get the balls anymore. He does, um, yeah, he, he, he doesn't really strike out either. Like, he's tremendous control of the zone. And, and the question is, can he continue to, like, put enough power in that profile? He did it two years ago. He wasn't quite able to do it in 2020. But, again, you know, everything in 2020 was, you know, weird small sample stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, power has always been the element of his game that has kind of lagged behind. But he has those notable seasons in 2016 and 2019, especially an earlier one in 2013 with the Indians, where he has been really, really good all around. But don't get it twisted. Like, this is a guy whose floor is 110 WRC plus because, as Sam mentioned, he just controls the zone. So he's on, he's in the conversation with, although not approaching guys like Joey Votto, um, who just know exactly where every single pitch is um, and know what to do with it. You might also include podcast favorite Brandon Nimmo in that discussion. You're correct. I would include podcast favorite Brandon Nimmo in that discussion. Um, Let's talk about the big one, the big kahuna as it were, a trade that uh, really drew mixed reactions on Twitter.com, a website I sometimes uh, look at to see how people are reacting to things. And this is a Lance Lynn trade. The Rangers trade Lance Lynn to the White Sox for Dane Dunning and Avery Weems, a, pros- a pitching prospect, left-hander. Um, the White Sox are only getting one year of Lynn. But I'll just say me personally, I like this for them. Lance Lynn is an absolute horse. He is somebody who absolutely eats innings and he does it gracefully. He has tremendous, tremendous success um, over the last number of years, actually getting a late 
career uptick in K-rate, unlocking a whole new level, um, pitched 186 in 2017, 156 in 2018, partially because he went to two teams, and 208 in 2019 to complement two more 200-inning seasons earlier in his career. And yeah, you know what? He's a little bit on the older side. He's 33 and a half, but they're only taking him for one year. And I think he is a tremendous asset to that rotation, especially who is young and lacking in innings eaters. Yeah, I think it's a huge get for the White Sox. And, you know, they, they definitely gave up, you know, some prospects for 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 him. And it, it is only one year. But if you're the White Sox, you're in the position to contend. And I, you know, a good starting pitcher was a, was a big, big question mark for you guys. So, so it, it fills a big area of need for them. And really, if you look at the last two years, Lance Lynn's up there with a top, you know, 15 to 20 starting pitcher in the game. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. He's been really good. And part of that has to do with quality. Part of that has to do with quantity, as you said, which is a, is a eroding skill as far as starting pitchers go in the league. So yeah, I really like the get for the White Sox. Um, I let's talk for a second about the guy that the White Sox give up though. Cause this is what made it so polarizing. Dane Dunning, if you remember, was absolutely lights out in the playoffs. And many White Sox fans thought that if Ricky Renteria had left him in, that they could have moved on to the next level. Um, Ricky didn't, and the rest is history. But this is a guy who has been, like, really good for his whole minor league career. I always say this caveat with guys, though. His worst season in the minors is also his most innings pitched. So, that is a question mark that I don't think I really know how to properly analyze, but I see it a lot when looking at prospects. Um, and that's just part of what makes this so volatile, but Dane Dunning, certainly really good stuff. A guy who you expect to K more than 10 per nine on a regular basis. Um, keep his walks middling somewhere in the, in the two range, but he has a lot of potential. A lot of white Sox fans saw him as the future and presumably he slots directly into the Rangers rotation. So, on the Rangers end, I like this almost as much as I like it on the White Sox end. I just think it's a trade that makes sense for the two teams right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Certainly. I think, like I said, you know, if you're the Rangers, I think you do want to be amassing talent for the future and not for now. Um, and, you know, yeah, maybe for the Nate Lowe trade, you do view that as a future piece. Uh, but yeah, th- this is a good get for the Rangers as well. And yeah, I think this is this is one of those trades where I, I really do think it makes sense for both sides. Although, of course, if we do see Dane Dunning, you know, turn into a star, it's going to look really bad for the White Sox. Uh, and Unless I, I, the White Sox win the World Series next year and then throws game seven. I do think there's also an extent to which, you know, White Sox fans are extra cautious about trading prospects because of what's happened with Fernando Tatis Jr. That is, that is very, very fair. Um, and it's, I guess it's not just Fernando Tatis Jr., right? There's been some other guys that they've tossed, although I can't really think of uh, who I'm thinking about right now. I guess Chris Sale, but like that was a little bit different. He had already, yeah, that's not, I mean, he was already had a lot of success with them. That was sort of selling at the, at the top of your value. And out of that, they, of course, they got Moncada. And, um, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, oh, Oh, I already mentioned that. Okay. And Copa. Let's go before I before I just freak out on air here, Sam. Let's go into our little quiz show that we have going. So just a reminder, folks, I'm gonna quiz Sam on the leaderboard for pitching uh swing take runs. 
Sam is going to quiz me on the hitter leaderboard. I need to say something before we start, though, okay? This is very important for everybody to remember. Sam has been in his spare time, as a good numbers junkie does, uh, working on a new type of statistic based on this swing-take metric. And I'm oversimplifying, Sam. I don't mean to, to misrepresent your work. But he's doing some really cool stuff, but has been looking a lot at this data. So we're coming in in a pretty stilted playing field. And to flip that playing field up, I want to know the top five pitchers in 2019 by positive runs. Ah, uh, so who were the worst pitchers? That's right. In I can't give you. I can't give you the best pitchers of 2019 or even of 2020, but I can give you the worst because I don't think you'll know. So I do think I'll know one. Is it Irvin Santana? No. Um, I appreciate the guess, but to be honest, I don't see him on the top 25. I could just be missing him. But. Oof. Um, ooh, this is Not hard. even the top 50. Sorry. No, Stephen Matz was the worst in 2020, actually. He was the worst in 2020, uh, <laughs> and I knew you'd know that, which is why I switched to 2019. <laughs> Man, this is this is tough. Um, One of them, if you remember the 2019 series uh, season, is actually not that tough. It may pop out at you. Is it uh, Rick Porcella? No. You want a hint? Yeah, sure. He was so bad he had to leave the country. So bad he had to leave the country. What am I forgetting about the 2019 season? Can, can uh, I tell you? Oh, so you, yeah, tell me. I'll tell you just this one, and I'll give you a chance to guess some of the others. All Dan right. Straley is number two. He was uh, so bad he had to go to Korea where he was an absolute boss. Of course. Uh, to put that in perspective, Dan Straley, as well as the other four guys in the top five, all had an identical swing take run of plus 24. Wow. Who else is there? Let me think about this. I hear you typing. If uh, if there's any unsportsmanlike conduct, I'm going to have to disqualify <laughs> no, you uh, I'm not looking up. I'm, I just I had a name in mind. I wanted to see how bad he was in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, it was not on the swing take leaderboard. Um, man, I'm really stumped here. It's much easier to guess good players than it is bad players. It is, it is. Um, there, there has to be volume because swing take is a counting stat. So it can't just be... Let me, let me right. just try to get you to guess the worst because this is a historic season. He had maybe one of the most underratedly historic seasons in baseball history. Obviously in a bad way because he's at the top of the leaderboard. My first hint to you is that he has played for literally like... 15 teams. 15 teams. Mm. Uh, 14. Sorry. 17 year career, 14 teams. I do not believe he played in 2020. Well, um, 
You know what? I was I was trying to figure out the worst, the 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 sort of the biggest matchup in my stat. I might have. Was it Edwin Jackson? You got it, baby. Yeah, you absolutely. I, 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 I think I actually ran this. Um, Damn, Eddie, Eddie would have broken your simulation because he was plus 44 runs last year. Wow. Yeah, so I think I – so actually I think I ran this, and it was Edwin Jackson versus Mike Trout. And oh what, my metric, what my metric had this at was that this would be about plus 45 runs per 1,000 pitches for Mike Trout in terms of the above average case. And to put that in perspective, what we're looking at is that would be about 10 to 12 wins just from offense in a full season for Trout if he got to face uh, Edwin Jackson every at-bat. Which is pretty good. I'll just tell you the other ones, unless you want to try and keep guessing. Maybe I, think, I came in too hard. Well, why, if you give me some teams, I might have a shot, but I'm going to have trouble guessing more. Okay, so teams... I, I'll tell you that number three and four have changed teams since last season. Do you want their current team, their former team, or both? Why don't you give me their their uh, their former team? In 2019, number three played for the San Francisco Giants at Oracle Park. Was it Kevin uh, Gossman? It was not Kevin Gossman. Oh, wait, he was 2020, sorry. Was it Madison Bumgarner? <laughs> It was not Madison Bumgarner, you absolute heathen. Um, righty. Righty. Giants. He's got flow. He has major league lineage. Major league lineage. I'm totally, I'm totally drawing a blank. Get you want it? it? Yeah, give it to me. Derek Rodriguez. Oh, wow. Son of Pudge Rodriguez was at plus 28 runs. I didn't realize he was Pudge's son. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I should fact check myself because I'm, I'm prone to saying things how, that are... How is he, even, how is he even old enough? To be Pudge's son? Yep, or how is Pudge is, uh, old enough? Son of Pudge. Wow. I mean, Pudge, Pudge is up there. So let number four was playing for Kansas City and is now playing for the Orioles. Kansas City. He spent some time in the bullpen and some time as a starter. Some time in the bullpen. You're just going to have to give it to me. I I don't want to I don't want to keep holding them up. Jorge Lopez. Ah, okay, okay. That's why these are hard. And number five, uh, David Hess from the Orioles. Wow. So you you really switched it up on me there. I'm glad I got Edwin Jackson, but that was a bit that was a bit of a failure on my part. Hey, I mean that's so much harder than guessing the top of the list. Um, I never would have dreamed it up on you if I didn't know you were looking at uh, at top players. Um, of course, everybody would expect at this point that Sam's one and only um, Jacob DeGrom found himself number four on the positive leaderboard. Um, in 2019? But I do wanna... Yeah, in 2019. I'll give you a shot. Do you just want to run through it? You probably can get it in six guesses max. I mean, it's going to be Cole. Yep. Verlander. Yep. That's one, two in order. 
DeGrom is one, obviously. Scherzer. DeGrom is four. Scherzer's five. And then who's three? Um, Strasburg? Yeah. So it took five guesses, which is <laughs> yeah. precisely why I didn't do that. Um, but let right. me, let me well, get well, up. Well, now let's, let's – uh, Let's get Aaron to to do the the batters, and because he made it hard on me, I, I was gonna do top five from twenty twenty. But why don't you try to try to get the top ten? Oh, okay, from twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout. Nope, Mike Trout was fifteen. Wow, Freddie Freeman. Yep, he was number one at thirty nine runs in. Only, you know, 60 games. That is absolutely absurd. That's unbelievable. Um, Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu was five. Yeah. Um, Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna was two. Fernando Tatis Jr. Came in at 12, so not quite on the list. Machado? Machado came in at 16. Okay. Um, let's see here. Who else just absolutely took it to him? Um, Belly still could have been good. No, I, I don't think he was even. He's low. He's not even. Um, tough. He's 83. Trevor Story? 88. 88. Wow. Well, at least I'm, I'm zoning in on the low 80s there. Um, let's see. Who else? Oh, Juan, Jesus, Juan Soto. Yep, Juan Soto's four. Um, boy, that's just brutal. Ugh, it's going to be some Met. Um, is there a Met in the top ten? There is. Is it uh, Conforto? It is. He came in at eight. All right. Um, DJ LeMahieu? Uh, DJ was not in the top ten. He was 21. Volume issues, maybe I don't know. Um, so you're missing number. You're missing number three. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a AL MVP finalist. Oh, wait. Okay, Mookie Betts is in there. Mookie Betts is seven. Yeah. Sorry, an AL MVP finalist. Um, like I can remember the AL MVP finalists. The man I believe should have won the AL MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who it is. Hold on. Now I got to go through. Hold on. Is Nelson Cruz in there? Nelson Cruz is not in the top 10. He's 25. Um, The guy you thought should have won the MVP. Oh, boy. Why am I just drawing such big blanks right now? Uh, Is Rendon in there? Uh, Rendon is not in the top 10, although I think he was he, in 2019. I think he might have even been number one. I think he was the leader, yeah. Um, is Bregman in there? Bregman is not. So Bregman. I'll say that the, the, so you're missing two easy ones, and then there are two pretty hard ones. Okay. Well, the easy ones, like, I, I can't believe I can't think of who is Lindor in there. No, but his battery mate. Sorry, not his battery mate, but his his he he plays on the same side. Oh, of the Jose infield. Ramirez! Oh, yeah. that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm just out of my mind right now. Okay, so Jose Ramirez, 
there's one easy one left, which is why I keep guessing all these like big name guys. The, the um, other easy one uh, was uh, he won a very big award this year, but it was not related to the regular season. It was related to the postseason. Corey Seager? He was 10. Really? Uh, okay. Hell of so a year. So now we're looking at two surprises. Yeah, and I'll, I'll note that you guessed two teammates of one of the players in the top 10. Uh, oh, Michael Brantley? No. Uh, you guessed the, the, shorts, the shortstop and the third baseman on his team. An Indian? Not an Indian. Oh, a Padre. Eric Hosmer? Not Eric Hosmer. Cronenworth? Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, oh my God. I keep thinking about 2020 when we're talking about this. Hold we on. are talking. We are screen. doing 2020. Oh, we are doing 2020. Yeah. Well, then Cronenworth was a, a reasonable guess. Um, Tommy Pham didn't play enough. It wasn't their catcher. It wasn't their first baseman or their second baseman. Oh, my God. Will Myers? It was Will Myers. Will Myers was ninth. Okay. What? Uh, um, good year. Point, and point. You, you're now just missing number six. And now I'm just guessing full rosters. Like I'm, I'm just not even close here. Number, okay, number six. Give me a clue. He was uh, sort of at the top of the Fangraphs leaderboard for WAR for a lot of the early part of the season. He is also related to a former major league player. Bo Bichette? Not Bo Bichette, no. He's in the uh, NL West. He's in the NL West. Yaz, really? Good for Mike, him. Mike Yastrzemski, yeah. Number Good six. Good Yaz. Wow. Wow. I, I still don't know if I believe in him, but that certainly gives me another reference point. Yeah. So wow, he... well, we both kind of uh, – we both kind of struggled there, but it was a fun exercise and we got to get back to it. We could just be a little rusty and I could have thrown you a, a pretty unfair screwball, but you know oh, what they say? I, put I the, like it. Put the foreign substance on the bill of your cap and let that thing fly. Yeah. And I, you know, it was fun to get back into a level of competition on this podcast. We've been mm-hmm. too friendly with each other. The thing is, this will not be a friendly episode if we're playing each other next week. I'll tell you that right now. Off that's the bat. sure. Uh, we yeah, we might even have to you know live stream some some of our reactions. Yeah, if we play each other next week, I mean, you might anyway, but you will definitely have to come over for a little bit of football, <laughs> and we'll we'll just wallow in the misery of somebody who is going to have to wear a fedora. Uh, but not actually a fedora this year. The, the punishment's different. We're going to keep it a secret to make sure you join us next week. Um, this has been a wonderful episode. We want to thank all of you for coming out. I've said it once. I'll say it twice. How about a third time? Reach out to us. TheAlonzoBet at gmail.com. But here's the thing, folks. It's not just other Gmail accounts that can reach us at that address. If you have Yahoo, if you have Hotmail, if you have AOL, you can reach us at that Gmail request by just creating a new email. Or if you have any type of Twitter, find us, the Alonzo Bet, um, at the Alonzo Bet. With that, thank you guys very much. Sam, anything to say before we sign off? No, that's it. I mean, I, we're still waiting for the big 
you know, free agents to sign somewhere. We're hearing every day that, you know, James McCann might be, is very close to signing with the Mets. Buster only said he would bet the farm that George Springer ends up with the Mets. And you know what? I love to hear all this news, but I want to see it in writing. George mm-hmm. Springer has signed with the Mets. That'll make me a happy camper. All right. Well, uh, Let's see how that goes. And we'll be back to you guys next week with all the latest in news and takes. We got all the takes for you. So thank you guys very much for stopping by. Signing off for the Alonzo Bed. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good night, folks.